while the headlines are going to be about the immediate crisis with uh, hospitals filling up sick children's, filling up ERs, filling up, a lot of people are asking, you know, how did we get here? How did we get to a point where in a G7 country, kids can't get basic pain meds, let alone antibiotics, and where people cannot get timely care? This did not happen overnight. It didn't just happen. Doctors and nurses have been warning for decades that cuts to care would collapse the health system. And now here we are with those warnings ignored, systems collapsing. And over the weekend, I read a McLean's piece written through the eyes of an urgent care doctor of 39 years who remains on the front lines and who has ample experience in administration and management in family care and who is now warning again. The system has never been closer to collapse. Dr. Alan Drummond is a rural trauma doctor at the Great War Memorial Hospital in Perth. He joins me now. Thanks so much, doctor. My pleasure. Um, your article is devastating. It, it made me more, I don't know if it made me more angry or sad or just both, but you have, just so our, our, our listeners understand, you've been in the ER in Perth for a long time. Uh, doing mm-hmm. all this work over the last couple of decades, you pulled back the curtain in this piece exposing the strain the hospitals under. Um, all hospitals, you kind of point out the violence, the exhaustion, overcrowding, hospitals closure, closures, misdiagnosis. Um, you know, what is your biggest concern as you, as you see what's happening now? Yeah, uh, well, you're absolutely right in your in, in your intro. Uh, for several decades now, uh, we have been calling out the whole issue of hospitals being too crowded. And when a hospital is crowded, it means the emergency department can't function because we can't transfer patients to the wards until they spend you know prolonged periods of time in our emergency department, sometimes days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time we have an admitted patient in our emergency department called a boarded patient, it means we can't see patients from the waiting room, we can't see... Uh, people in the back of ambulances because they can't be offloaded to a stretcher. And uh, crowding probably is probably the the principal problem that is causing stress in the system, uh, especially when we're overwhelmed on a good day, but we are particularly overwhelmed when there is an infectious outbreak. And then this coming winter, we're quite concerned about RSV, influenza, as well as whatever COVID variant is coming along. So, uh, you know, we're taking a chronic situation of a crowded hospital and we are anticipating that's going to be a lot, lot worse. Uh, and that's going to have impact throughout the entire system in terms of both delayed, delayed access to emergency care, delayed ambulance response, people leaving the emergency department without being assessed, canceled surgeries. So, you know, our health minister, uh, you know, has said that, you know, she doesn't, she feels that the term crisis is inappropriate. Even when she was at the meeting last week in Vancouver, she talked about pressures on the system as opposed to collapse. Uh, and so, she, you know, it's, it seems sometimes like she's living in, a, in an alternate universe. And now is the time to get really serious about the problems that are facing us. Otherwise, we may well see uh, unnecessary deaths this coming, this coming winter season. Yeah, God help us if we start yeah. seeing headlines involving dead children, because my question, I think a lot of people are asking, like, this was known, this, this flu season, certainly for parents, it was known it was coming, it was going to be worse. We've known that we don't have pain meds in this country for a long time, since summer, and I have to wonder, what the hell were these people doing all summer long? Did no one think to shore up the front lines, get the you know more money to the nurses and doctors on the front line? Did no one think to pressure the manufacturers to get, you know, making this medicine? And Sylvia Jones is, is just saying, look, we're responding, and, and we have responded. Well, the fact that we are bringing masks out again as a policy tells me that we are dealing with complete failure of leadership. 
Oh, you know what? Like, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, that truthfully, I mean, I, I am a conservative, just to let you know. But, uh, but frankly, this has been a failure of leadership right from, right from the get-go. And I don't want to, uh, you know, the, the Ford government likes to sort of point back to Dalton McGuinty and, you know, and, and so forth. But really, uh, he, this is a second-term government now, so they actually own the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of cynicism, you know, the Ford government says, well, patients are getting emergency care when they need it in Ontario. That was in July, he said that. Uh, the minister said there was no crisis uh, in, in August. But, you know, since uh, since she became health minister, and it, it, it may be coincidence, I'm not sure, but, but I've never seen such an unprecedented uh, number of closed uh, rural emergency departments since she became health minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, the waits for emergency care in our urban departments uh, now are, you know, borderline ridiculous. You know, you may have to wait eight, ten hours to be seen, you know, with a loved one. If you are admitted to hospital, you might well wait, you know, 30, 40 hours before you can be transferred to a comfortable bed and appropriate care. Uh, and yet it just seems to be like you know, there's no real urgency to their response. It's like things are going to be okay. Well, I feel like Leonard DiCaprio, don't look up. Don't look up because it really is quite seriously, uh, you know, we're in serious trouble and nobody seems to care. Yeah, look, I, this to me is not a partisan issue. Uh, frankly, we pay enough for health care in this country, and the fact that it's not being managed well or it's not working uh, this long, it tells me that a lot of people deserve to have their heads roll. Having said that, in your in your article, you know, we know that millions of, of Canadians don't have a doctor, which is one of, I think, the biggest issues. You know, you talk about the front line. We don't have a front line to the front line, so the only place millions of people can go here is an ER. And Doctors and nurses, they don't have the capacity or the ability to serve people with the compassionate care that they need. So someone might come in with a bellyache, but you yourself have to tell them it's not a stomachache. You're riddled with cancer and you're going to die. That, that is not something an emergency doctor should have to tell a patient. But this is the reality of what you guys are dealing with. Yeah, you know, it, it, that's true that it has happened. And uh, I still, uh, you know, whenever I think about that particular incident that was in the article, I, you know, I'm I'm a pretty tough and wise and old guy. But when I think about that, that day, uh, it still brings me to tears. And uh, because it just, to me, indicates the moral decay uh, that, that has sort of penetrated our system like a, like a metastatic cancer, that that's what things have become. And, you know, we talk about sort of dignity and, and, and privacy and confidentiality in medicine. You know, uh, over the last six months, over the last year, that's just gone by the boards. Now, if you, you know, now we're seeing people in what the government calls unconventional spaces, which means closets, hallways. Uh, you know, we're telling people bad news uh, in really uh, in a crowded emergency department where everybody can hear their tears. Uh, you know, there's just something wrong here. And uh, none of us signed up for this. Uh, you know, an emergency department is not geared to be uh, an accessory ward. An emergency department is not really geared, uh, you know, to be uh, sort of telling people that they have metastatic cancer and they're, they're going to die when it could have been done by the GP. Now, I'm not slamming GPs because I am one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all working pretty hard. Uh, but, you know, the system as it's currently designed, we're all set up to fail. And, uh, and everything that, you know, is, is this, what happens in the British Department is really just a reflection of sy- systemic failure throughout the entire healthcare system. And uh, it's got to change.
Yeah, well, secondstreet.org, which studies health policy, among other things, um, when we talked uh, just last week, 2.9 million, and that's an underestimate, are waiting on lists in this country. 11,000 died uh, last year on waiting lists. We're talking people who can't get surgeries, diagnosis, Mm -hmm. specialists. So we've got people dying on waiting lists with treatable illnesses. You shared the loss of your daughter, Hillary, to cancer. Um, And point out, I think, something that's very important for people to understand your daughter got six extra years of life because you yourself advocated so heavily for her. And so there are a lot of people out there, doctor, who will wait by the phone. They want to be polite about making an appointment. But if you don't fight for yourself in the system the way it is now, it's almost like you don't have a chance. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think it's true uh, that it's a very difficult uh, system to negotiate. It's uh, pretty uh, unfriendly and, in fact, to be straight with you, it's getting even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I, patients ask me for a consultation with a specialist. I write eight or 12 letters uh, and are all usually refused. Maybe on the 13th, I will get a promise to see the patient in 18 months on a Zoom call. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you, don't, you know, you don't want to be a pain in the ass, to be sure. But by the same token, you don't want to assume that the system is working smoothly to your benefit. So you really have to be prepared to either advocate for yourself or advocate for your loved one. And certainly, you know, your family physician or your primary care practitioner, you know, is your point of contact and should be uh, your principal advocate besides yourself. You know, and so, you know, don't be afraid to make that extra call. Don't be afraid to ask your family physician, you know, how come I'm waiting six months? You know, where am I on the list? You really have to because, you know, otherwise you're going to fall through the cracks. Yeah. That is if you have the family doctor, which, as you point out in your article, if we could get these things remedied, would make a lot of sense and, and certainly help. Um, I wish I could give you 20 more minutes, uh, doctor. It was an unbelievable article. I really appreciate you joining us with it. Well, thank you for reading it. Dr. Alan Drummond, kind of lifting the curtain to the realities on the ground, is in McLean's this week. I have posted it on my Twitter, at Alex Pearson AMP, Alex Pearson AMP. If you want to read it, it is a dev- it'll make you angry. Uh, as to how bad this has gotten, because it didn't have to, but it is.